21 days of fasting and prayer. We're on day 14 of 21 days. Hope you're doing good. You're almost there. You got one more week to go. And we've been looking at the spiritual practices that help us to better follow Jesus. I think it's really important that we start a new year off. Let's, let's re-engage these practices because as the year goes on, we grow tired like many of the nether rhythms of our lives. Uh, we sort of fizzle out towards the end of the year. And then we come into the new year and we just re-engage ourselves. And we do that by just sort of refocusing on the spiritual practices that Jesus practiced himself. So we're not just pulling these practices, you know, out of the air. They're in the Bible, but we know specifically Jesus engaged in these practices. And the, his followers have been engaging in these same practices for thousands of years. And so we want to walk by the Spirit, as we've read now for the last few weeks, to not carry out the desires of our flesh. And how we walk by the Spirit is engaging in spiritual practices. And next Sunday, as the fast comes to an end, traditionally what we do here at Life Center is we celebrate in the evening. On Sunday night, we come together and we worship, we celebrate. I talked with one family, or a few families here at the church. They have a tradition of every year going, I think it was Boston Pizza, was it? Uh, I, maybe I'm wrong, but they go out for food together afterwards just to celebrate. Uh, but this year, instead of having a worship night in the evening, we've decided just to, uh, to move the worship night to the worship morning. So our Sunday morning next week is going to be a time of celebration. It's going to be a regular Sunday morning service, but we're just going to tweak our format a little bit just to offer a chance to celebrate the end of the fast, to bring some closure to the fast. So we're going to have some more worship next week. And I just want to encourage you, especially on Online. Come next Sunday, you know, come and be, let's be together. Let's worship God. Let's celebrate. It's going to be great. But when it comes to spiritual practices, we've looked at, up to this point, the practices that we do by not doing, like fasting. We don't eat. Or Sabbath last week. Sabbath, the practice of not working one day a week, of giving that day to the Lord, or, or solitude and silence. But today we're going to look at one spiritual practice in particular that we do by doing, and that is the practice of community, of community. And this week online, if you've been following our social media, Pastor Jason has been sharing uh, some more, uh, just, just sharing more about these spiritual practices. And we're going to be sharing on the practices of community and Bible reading. These are the two practices we're focusing on this week. But I really want to take this morning to focus specifically on the spiritual practice of community for two reasons. And first is this. After a long two years of solitude and isolation... I mean, ask anyone, what has been the hardest part of the pandemic? And unless you work on the front lines, you're a frontline healthcare worker, the hardest part of the pandemic has been what? The isolation, the separation from the people we love, our friends and our family. And so I think that we, as we emerge and start tri- going on the trajectory towards a post-pandemic world, uh, this is a discipline we need to engage in once again. Do you agree with that? Do you agree with that? And number two, it is a practice that is complementary to the practice that we looked at last week. That is the practice of solitude. That both community and solitude, they can be quite different. They, well, they are quite different, but they both do the same thing. That is, they help us to better follow Jesus. And chances are there are some here today in this community that when we talk about a practice like community, that comes naturally to you because you naturally love to be around any people. Any extroverts in the house? Anyone just love to be around people? Of course they would woo. Of course they would woo. 
You know, you're the type of person that you want to just practice the spiritual practice of community by taking everyone to Boston Pizza after lunch today, right? Like, if it was open, you would totally be like, it's on me, let's go, woohoo! And you'd be, you'd be going there. And then there are others, and it's not that, you know, we totally get that introvert-extrovert thing. We kind, of, we kind of misunderstand it, right? It's not that if you're more introvert, you don't love people. Of course you love people. It's that, you know, it doesn't fuel you being in community the way, you know, it fuels others. And that maybe you feel closer to Jesus when you are in solitude. Anyone? You feel closer to Jesus? Yes. It's okay. It's totally okay. That's how God made you. That's all right. But as we approach these practices, these disciplines, let's not only embrace the practices that come naturally to us, right? You know, in, in high school, I had a basketball coach who wisely pulled me aside and said, you know, you're only dribbling the basketball with your right hand. I was right-handed. And the other team is going to pick up on that trend and is going to use that to their advantage. You need to not just work on your strong hand, you need to work on your weak hand. So what did I do? I began putting, you know, not using my dominant hand to develop my weaker hand. And, and I think that's what we, are, we need to do. We need to recognize what is your dominant hand when it comes to the spiritual practices? Do you know? Where do you naturally align when it comes to these practices? But second, you know, so let's collectively recognize our need to develop the, the disciplines that don't come as naturally to us because ultimately what they are all designed to do is to help us grow closer to Jesus. All of them. You know, the point of spiritual practices is not to get better at the practices. Sometimes we think, i got to practice fasting to get better at fasting. And truthfully, if you practice fasting, you will. That's a, a wonderful byproduct, is you'll get better at the act of fasting. But the point of fasting, the point of community, is not to get better at community. It's not to get better at fasting. The point is to grow closer to Jesus. It's to know God more. Can I get an amen to that? And so that's what we're doing today, that we want to get closer to Jesus, and we do that by looking closer at the spiritual practice at community. Now, sometimes when it comes to understanding what something is, it's good to begin by acknowledging what something isn't. And as a community, the practice of community can be easily misunderstood or mispracticed. Truth be told, ever since God made Eve to be a, a suitable companion for Adam, to be, a, to be somebody to live life with, to walk alongside with, it was not good for man to be alone, God declared. We humans, ever since that point, have struggled to live together in community. It seems like we cannot live without each other, <laughs> but at the same time, don't know how to quite live with each other. Every generation and every culture has their own unique challenges when it comes to community. And I believe that our greatest challenge in this time, in this age, for this generation, our greatest challenge is hyper-individualism. Hyper-individualism. Hyper-individualism, which was supposed to bring human liberation, was supposed to bring about freedom, but it has only led to more and more loneliness and isolation. Ironically, it is the epidemic of loneliness that has led to something which community is not, and that is tribalism. Tribalism. I'm sure you remember quite well at the beginning of March of 2020, there was this glimpse of hope that this, this thing that we were about to enter into, this, this pandemic, if you've heard of it, it was going to bring us together. Together as a community. You remember? There was so much sloganeering. We're all in this together. And for like two weeks, we were, right? 
We were together for like two weeks until somebody saw another person with a lot of toilet paper in their cart. And they thought, oh, I need toilet paper too. And then the other person said, oh, why do they have so much toilet paper? Is there something that they know that I don't know? And so they stocked up on toilet paper. And before you knew, you have this black market of toilet paper. And it was probably one of the weirdest moments of this pandemic. Um, But if you haven't noticed, we haven't really come together, have we? Anyone? Just me? No? In fact, I'd say we're further apart than we have ever been before. At least it feels this way. You know, one of my my prayers is that when we emerge, we don't just run really quickly to try to get back to our lives, just want to go on vacation. We need to heal. Like, we need to reconcile. And I think it's going to begin with the church leading the way. We have an opportunity before us to lead the way to show the world what does it mean to heal in our differences and our divides. And we've witnessed this increasing polarization of opinion around policy and, and vaccines and masks. And we've talked about, you know, this. But and I keep hearing as things intensify in our culture and it seems like they're getting louder and more intense, I keep hearing the words of Jesus over and over, but it shall not be so among you. It shall not be so among you. It shall not be so among you. And rather than being led into community, what has happened is we've been led into tribalism. David Brooks uh, calls tribalism the dark twin of community. Because community is based on mutual love, but tribalism is based on mutual hate. You know, community is about who and what we are for. Tribalism is about what we are against. Uh, Pastor John Mark Homer out of, of uh, P- uh, Portland, Oregon says, if God sets the solitary in families, individualism sets the lonely in tribes. You know, as Christ followers, we need to be aware that community is never meant to be tribal. Community, tribalism is not community. And I think one of the most remarkable things Jesus did was when he said, come follow me to his disciples and I will make you fishers of men. He did not call 12 young men who were like-minded in culture and religion. In fact, one of the most fascinating studies is to just look at who he invited to be his closest disciples You've got these young religious boys who they know the Torah well. They've studied. You've got these tax collectors who are like, uh, you know, they've betrayed their people. They've sold out, you know, to the, to, the, to the man. And then you've got these zealots who would love to stick a knife in the back of, you know, those tax collectors. And Jesus calls these group together and he's like, come follow me. You know, we as followers of Jesus need to follow Jesus And not follow our ideologies and our preferences. And we don't just follow Jesus as individuals. We follow Jesus together as a community. Secondly, community is not connectivity. So it's not tribalism and it's not connectivity. Now, I know this is probably the most obvious statement that I'll make this morning, but we're more connected than ever before, aren't we? And, you know, over the last few years, our lives have become that much more dependent upon these digital connections that have made life possible to work from home. Things like, um, things like you know, email and social media and our cell phones. And what living in the world of this digital connectivity can do is it can give us a false sense of community. Would you agree? I think those of us who are younger in the room, and I'm going to group myself in that. I'm going to say us who are younger in the room. We are especially prone to this challenge. Millennials calling you out. Gen Z. There is more and more evidence that shows that this always connected society that we live in 
is actually not make it makes our lives easier, but it's not making our lives better. It is actually increasing loneliness and the feeling of isolation. You know, studies are showing that we as human beings are only designed to hold so many connections at one point, and I think the number is actually around 120. We weren't designed to have these social media, you know, accounts that have thousands and thousands of friends. I remember when I deleted my Facebook account four years ago, which was a really good decision. I had over 2,000 friends because when Facebook came out, the cool thing to do was, like, add your friends from kindergarten. You're like, that's so exciting! Remember when we went to kindergarten together? And then you're like... Why did, I add, why did I add that person? I have nothing in common with them. We're not friends. It doesn't matter. Um, but do you want to take a guess when I deleted my, my Facebook account, how many of those 2,000 friends reached out to just express concern or to check up on me? You're guessing zero probably in your mind, but it was one. It was my mom. She, she called and she was like, are you okay? We need to be on guard against the belief that we are, because we, just because we are more connected, that we are in community. And truthfully, for the church, one of the challenges that we face, and, and I'm just going to be blunt because I, I believe that's my pastoral calling, that goes for online church as well. You know, online church, I am so excited for this technology. I know for years we were like, wouldn't it be great just to broadcast what's happening here in Canada online? So by no means am I against it. It's a wonderful tool in our tool belts. You know, it's great when you're sick. It's great if you just need to step away from a physical environment for a season because of whatever's going on in our world. Like, for example, that's, I totally understand that. But let me just encourage you as your pastor, online church cannot and should not ever be a replacement for being part of the body of Christ. And, and it's not just I have, want to take a dig at anyone who's, who's, who's only, you know, participating in the church online or anything like that. But no, it comes from the biblical calling of what it means to be the church, the community, the family of God. And the reason is, 1 Corinthians 12 says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we are all made to drink of one spirit. You see, the body of Christ is this collective agreement that we all need each other. You know, you need me, I need you. I need your encouragement. We need each other, and we need each other to be the church God has called us to be the city because the body does not consist of one member or just these members, but of many members. And so the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you right now. I don't need you, and neither can the head say to the feet, I have no need of you. We need one another. Community is not connection. And then finally, this might confuse some of you. I don't want to throw you off. The community is not church. Community is not church. Now, maybe you heard me saying that online church is not enough, and so what I got to do is I got to go to church. Hear me, that's not what it means to be practicing community. Community is not going to church. And by church, I mean the place you go once a week, you attend for one hour on a Sunday morning attending a service or going to a certain building. No, there's a word in the Bible used for what we're doing here today, whether you're online or whether you're in person. And then the word, the biblical word, is the word ecclesia. Ecclesia, it's the word we get for church. And it, is, it refers to an assembly or a gathering of God's people, which, mind you, is also a practice. 
It's also a spiritual discipline to gather together with the body of Christ. Hebrews 10, 24 to 25 says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Ecclesia is the spiritual practice of meeting together, of coming together to worship, to pray, to encourage one another. But what meeting together cannot bring is the sort of community that God has called us into. Sometimes we think going to church once a week or for one hour on a Sunday morning is living in Christian community. But I, I, we're, I'm going to just say it. I don't think it is. What we are called to is the ecclesia, to be the ecclesia, the gathering, the, to the church, but we're also called to something that is called the, the koinonia of believers, or fellowship, or community. And the word koinonia is a word that is very different from the word ecclesia. It is a word that we get to translate as the word community, or fellowship. But not just any fellowship, but a holy covenantal fellowship. It's not just a gathering of people, but of active participation in the body of Christ. Community or koinonia is a a joining together, a fusing together of a bond of unity around something you and I, we all share in common. And that which we share is Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. The first appearance of this word koinonia comes to us in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to 47. Let me just read this to you. Because this is such a radical picture of the the community God has called us into. You're going to be surprised at how radical it is. And they devoted themselves. These are talking about the believers. I'll give some more context in a moment. These New Testament Christians. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. And that fellowship is the word koinonia. To the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. See, what the author, whose name was Luke, Luke is the one who wrote both the Gospel of Luke and the Gospel of Acts. You see, they're actually not two different books. They're the same book, Luke and Acts. They were designed to be one book with two volumes. So we're meant to read them in together, Luke and Acts. But here in the book of Acts, what the author is wanting to show us, what he's wanting us to see happen, is not, he's not giving us a description of what Christians did in, in those early days. That's not what he's wanting us to see here. Instead, he wants us to see a description of what God has done in the life of those believers through his Holy Spirit. He is wanting us to see what happens when the Holy Spirit is poured out upon the believers. Acts chapter 2 is is a chapter known for the Holy Spirit being poured out upon the church after a period of waiting and praying as Jesus instructed them to do before he ascended into heaven. And there in that upper room, there were men and women praying and believing and waiting upon the Holy Spirit that Jesus promised. And on the day of Pentecost, which... 
ironically, in fact, probably not ironically, but intentionally, the day the Jewish people commemorated the giving of God's law to the Israelites on Mount Sinai, that on that day when God gave the law to Moses, it was on that same day, that Pentecost, that God gave the Spirit to his church. And we know that on Pentecost, what happened next was nothing short of charismatic. We believe that when God pours out his spirit upon believers, when the spirit of God manifests itself among believers, that it's not just a natural occurrence, but something supernatural begins to occur. We believe that when God's people gather together and the spirit of God falls on them, that it will be more than just natural. It will be supernatural. It's not going to be the same old, same old. And for the disciples, what had happened was they heard what sounded like to them rushing, a rushing wind and tongues of fire appeared on their heads. And they began to speak in languages that they didn't know what they were speaking, but those in the crowd understood the language as native to themselves. This was the fulfillment of God's promise that was prophesied through the prophet Joel when he said, in the last days, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. You know, what we watched this morning, that young girl who shared that powerful word, man, she preached, whoo, the word God says that in the last days I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters will prophesy. They will prophesy. See, this is, this is what it means to be a people of the spirits, that they, the spirit has been poured out upon the people with no exception. And it was reported on that day, that day of Pentecost, 3,000 people gave their lives to the Lord. 3,000 people. Now, as miraculous as this moment was, and it certainly was, what happened next after this event is as equally miraculous in my mind. For when the Holy Spirit was poured out, this charismatic experience didn't actually just last for a moment, but it began to transform every part of the believers' lives. And as a result of these individuals, 3,000 plus individuals who had placed their faith in Jesus and the numbers added more and more and more as we see, God's Spirit was transforming them into something that is called, that we know as, community. They broke bread together. They shared meals, and, and when you look at the socioeconomic you know, factors of the day and the different ethnicities and who you ate with and who you didn't eat with, you know, this was a big deal to break bread with other believers across the spectrum. You know, they prayed together. They devoted themselves to the teachings of the apostles, to hearing the gospel preached, to interpreting their scriptures through, uh, through a gospel lens, through the gospel lens of Jesus Christ. And perhaps most radically of all, and I think sometimes we, our brains, we want to skip over this because it's almost so radical that we don't know how to grasp it in our modern day uh, cultural minds. They sold their possessions and they gave to those who were poor. They, got, they sold everything. They got rid of it all, and they lived basically together, sharing all things in common with one another. This was koinonia. And it was a holy fellowship that you and I cannot experience apart from God's spirits. It is only God who can make such holy fellowship possible. Not just possible, but it is God's intention for your life that when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, that you will experience the same fellowship and koinonia that was experienced by those first early Christians. Why? Because the same Spirit 
that was poured out upon them has been poured out upon you. It is the same Spirit. When you give your heart to Jesus, that same Holy Spirit that baptized Jesus baptizes you into the fellowship of God that was enacted by Jesus, that was affected by the Holy Spirit, so that when the Holy Spirit is residing in you, there will be a prompting, a desire, an inkling, a yearning to join together with those who have the same Spirit of God to come together and be radically devoted to one another in grace and in truth. And if this radical community is something that God has called you and I into, and I hope today you believe that to be true, if the Holy Spirit has affected in you this desire, it means that the spiritual practice of community is never something that can be optional for believers in Christ. It's not like, do you want fries or salad along with the main course? Do you want to to follow Jesus in community or in solitude? No. It's, It's the same way that when you're born, you don't get to pick who your family is. You don't get to pick who your brothers and sisters is, who they're who they are. You're born into the family of God. You are born into community. You are born again into the community of God. And God has designed life in him so that it is virtually impossible to follow him apart from the context of community. I'll say it again because I've said it before. This, and this might be controversial in our culture today. You can be saved by Jesus apart from community. But it is impossible to grow in Jesus apart from community. Now, with all that said, is the fellowship of believers a perfect community? Do I really need to answer that? Or can you answer that for me? Are we a perfect community? Now, I know there are some here today who have come to this community because you were wounded by another church, another community, another group of believers. And sadly, there are those who are sitting in another church here today or another church across the city because they were wounded by this community. You know, if you've ever been wounded by a brother or sister in Christ, I'm so deeply sorry. I'm so deeply sorry. You know, I know there, I've known people who have come to this church and said, I want to get into community, but I need time to heal. You know, I need time just to sit and just, just be here before I can jump in. I understand that. I, and I'm like, absolutely. My answer is always absolutely. You know, the early church that Luke gives us was a radically different community, but by no means were they perfect. I mean, if you've never read the book of Acts, there's your homework for the week. Go read about what that early church was like. It was beautiful but it was messy. You know, you hear about these widows that begin to fight over, you know, uh, impartial treatment. One group of widows is being treated than another group of widows. You've got this couple who sells their possessions and gives the money to the church, but they sort of lie about the amount. They sort of hold back some for themselves. Um, and spoiler alert, like when you read it, you'll drop dead in disbelief at what happens to that, to that couple. It's not, it's not very nice. But if you've come here looking for a perfect community, allow me to save you the time and disappointment. That will come, maybe after one month, maybe after one year, maybe after ten years. You will be wounded in some way. In fact, if you've never been wounded by the community, by the, by the brothers and sisters in Christ, I might ask if you've fully given yourself to this practice. Yet for some reason, God continues to see community as a way that he forms disciples into the image of Christ. 
God continues to use community, not just as a spiritual practice, but the environment, the place where all the spiritual practices are engaged in. We fast in solitude, but we fast in community. We read our Bibles in in silence or in, in solitude, but we read our Bibles in community. We practice community, but we practice the other disciplines in community. And why God calls us to community is because only in Him can our differences be something that actually lead us to a more place of maturity and growth and healing in Christ. Because outside of Jesus, our differences are disastrous. We've all been witness to that in 2021 and the start of 2022. Outside of Jesus, our differences lead to only one place, and that is division. I mean, just imagine if I was crazy enough right now to do something absolutely crazy, to do something like ask a question, do you think vaccines should be mandated here in Canada? If you think yes, I would like you to sit over on this side. And if you think no, I'd like you to go sit over on that side. Do you think that that exercise would lead us as a community to a greater place of healing? <laughs> no. If anything, I'm going to be out of a job we did that, so we're not going to do that. But inside the body of Jesus, inside, these differences actually serve a divine purpose to remind us that when we are different from one another, when we share Christ, we actually all share a heavenly citizenship in Christ. Revelation 7, 9 says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes, and all peoples, and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands. See, in heaven, there will be a people from every nation, every tribe, every language, every belief, every spectrum. There will be people in heaven, I hate, I, I, I'm going to say it, that believe that we should have vaccine mandates in Canada. And there will be people in heaven who believe that we shouldn't have vaccine mandates in Canada. But the good news is that when we're in heaven, that that's no longer matters. Because we all share Christ. And so if it's not going to matter here in heaven, why should it matter here on earth? whether we're from a different tribe or a different tongue or different ethnicity or different opinion on these matters. Why, do, why should they not matter? Because what we share in common is Christ. Christ is our shared identity. And when Christ is your identity, every other identity that you have is secondary in importance to the primary identity you have in Christ. Now Galatians 3, 27, 28 says, For as many of you were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Paul is not saying that a Jew becomes a Christian and no longer can be a Jew any more than a Gentile needs to stop being a Gentile. But that in Christ, there is neither Jew nor Gentile. There is no slave nor free. And I wonder today if he were to rewrite that, if he was here today, that what he would say to us today is the body of Christ. For as many of you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ here in Ottawa, Canada. So there's neither vaccinated nor unvaccinated. You know, people who, who want more restrictions, people want less restrictions. There's neither male nor female. There's neither this nor that. For you're all one in Christ. So to follow Jesus, you don't have to abandon these beliefs that you have. 
But you have to surrender them. You have to place them at the, at the foot of the cross. Because when you come to the cross, when you take up your cross and follow him, as important as these identities are to us as individuals, they are secondary to what is first and foremost the most important identity that we all carry, and that is Christ. Am I, am I resonating today at all? I hope I am. I hope you don't want to throw stones at me. So how do we then engage in this practice? We need to wrap this up here. Let's bring this home. As we have seen this morning, what made the early church so radically different was that they shared not just a common identity in Christ, but they shared a common life together in Christ. They shared life together. They, they shared everything, and you know, they, they sold their possessions, their property. They shared everything. Now, how does this apply to Canadians? who are living through a pandemic, and it's like, oh, gee, God, you want me to break bread? And, but I can't have more than five people in my house. Or I'm not ready to have, you know, more people in my house at this time. Like, how do I practice fellowship? Maybe I want to contribute financially to the church, but I'm not quite ready to, you know, sell my house and give my life savings away and move into a co-op with Pastor Terry uh, out in Carp somewhere. Although that'd be a lot of fun, wouldn't it? That'd be a lot of fun. Let's think about that. I love you as my brother in Christ, but if your TV breaks and you come into my house and just take my TV off the wall because you need a TV for yourself, I know the Bible says that they shared all things together in common, but I'm not going to let you do that. Probably have, that might not work out very well. Fellowship, let's, say, let's just admit it. Fellowship is difficult in our culture that we live in. We're transient. We're independent. We live busy lives. We're not so accustomed to this radical devotion to one another. And so what we then can do is we, we realize we're, maybe we're going to share a lifetime together. Maybe we're going to share a season. We know here in Ottawa we're transient. But to engage in the practice of community, what we need to do is practice the posture of Jesus to one another. That's it. See, whether you're, when you're committed to posturing yourselves towards each other with the same posture that Jesus has given towards you, the same posture that Jesus has towards you, when you posture yourselves towards others, wherever you are, wherever you go, whether you're here for a lifetime, whether you're here for a year, you will experience the community that is shared in Christ. You will share. See, the, the, the important thing is not to focus in on the details of what specifically they did. No, no, they were, they were devoted to posturing themselves in the way that Jesus had postured themselves towards them. It was the Holy Spirit that would produce this, 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 this desire to share everything that they have. And I know today in Canada, that might not work as well, but what if we all just prayed, God, show us how to posture ourselves to one another in this time, in this place, uh, believing that when we we posture ourselves in the same manner which you posture yourselves towards us, we will experience divine community. In closing, let me read this. Philippians chapter 2, 1 to 4. These are the words of Paul to the church in Philippi. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any comfort from love, if there's any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each one of you not only look to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And then, you know, Paul actually goes on to share that famous poem of, uh, in Philippians chapter 2. But the verse, you know, asks this rhetorical question, if. But really, it should mean since. Since you have encouragement in Christ. Does anyone today have any encouragement in Christ? 
Since you have comfort from his love, anyone comforted today by the love of God, since you are participating in the Spirit, would you complete my joy, he says, by being of the same mind, it's the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. You complete my joy by having the same love, share the same attitude and lifestyle similar to what you have experienced in Christ. Since you have experienced the sacrificial love of Christ, have that sacrificial love for one another. Have the same mind, the same love. Or as 1 John 3, 16 to 18 says, by this we know what love is, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and our sisters. There's so much more that we can say about this topic. In fact, I had prepared all this, this, let's talk about this in application, but we're out of time, okay? That's for another Sunday. It might sound strange to you today during this fifth wave of the pandemic to be calling the church to the practice of community. I know, I get it. But this is an essential practice for all believers who want to better follow him. This is not just another tool in our tool belt. This is not just an optional practice. This is an essential practice. And remember today, the point is not to get better at community. The point is to follow Jesus. If you get really good at breaking bread, like you make a mean charcuterie board, when you get together for a small group, yet your love for others decreases, you're missing the point. If you become really good at praying, and you have nice holy prayers, but your love for others does not widen, your love for God does not grow, you're missing the point. The point is to better follow Jesus. And if community is an essential practice, to which I believe it is, we have to first acknowledge that many of us, we have been starved of community these last few years, whether by our own doing or by doing that is not ours. Like maybe it's intentionally or unintentionally. Maybe it's incidentally or, 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 you know, on purpose. I don't know what it is for you between you and God. But what if we collectively made the commitment, once we emerge from whatever this is, and this will end, praise the Lord, that we commit to embracing the radical practice of community like never before. I'm committed to it. I believe that 2022, I'm like looking forward, not that I ever want to skip by this moment, but I just believe that we are heading, like community is my prayer for this coming year, this year to come. Community, let's be a community. Not because we're lonely, that may be true, and not because God has commanded us to do this, while that is also, we certainly are, but because of the, let's do this because of the one who loved us and gave his life for us. Let's do this because he gave his life for us and he's invited us to come follow in his footsteps to share the same posture of humility, the same posture of radical hospitality, the same embrace of love he has for us that we might embrace others in the same way. Let's just pray and then we'll, we'll close here with a song. So Lord, Lord, uh, I, I don't know how everyone is here today. I know I've been challenged today by your word and just this moment, Lord, to just shake me out of my comfort zone as a Canadian. Help me to remember that my primary identity is Christian. And God, I know there's a place. You said there's neither Jew nor Gentile. We can include Canadian in that manner, but we are one in Christ. We are Christian. And Lord, they, your word says that they'll know that they are my disciples. They'll know they are Christians by how they love one another 
And Lord, I pray that that is our mission statement, Lord, to love one another as you have loved us, to posture ourselves in, in community the same way you postured yourselves up for us, by embracing us, by coming from heaven to earth. You demonstrate the radical hospitality towards us by stepping out of heaven, coming to earth and laying down your life for us out of love. And may we might do the same for one another. Lord, we see this example in the book of Acts, Lord. I don't believe that we have to copy it verbatim. We don't see that necessarily, Lord. But what I do see is the Holy Spirit transforming a community who given their lives to Christ and the Holy Spirit, you effected wonderful, radical change. And Lord, I'm asking today if there's a willingness in this place, if as a community we are open to it, Holy Spirit, that you might radically transform us as individual believers into the community you desire us to be. Maybe that's sharing. Maybe that's breaking bread. Maybe that's praying together. Maybe it's devoting ourselves. Whatever it is, Holy Spirit, if you want to do it, let us open ourselves up to you, Lord. But... Lord, we love you so much. We thank you for this gift of community. I thank you today that we have encouragement today because we have one another. Lord, we're not perfect. Only you are perfect. So we confess, Lord, of our mistakes. I pray, Lord, if those here today have been wounded in community, oh, Lord, I pray, Lord, through your grace, Lord, that there just be a supernatural work of healing that will take place to help them to trust and to love and to open themselves up once again. Lord, we pray the prayer of Jesus on the cross to forgive those who may not have even known what they have done to us in community. We forgive them, Lord, and we ask forgiveness for the times that we have done the same to others, whether knowingly or unknowingly. Heal us as a community. Help us to fulfill our potential in Christ. Lord, we know that in heaven there will be so many people with so many differences, but we will all bow at the name of Jesus. We all worship the name of Jesus. And that's all that matters. Help us through our differences right now, Lord. Help us as a church to be an example of what it means to be a community with, with, with such intense division taking place. Help us not to fall prey to temptation, Let's not be tempted by the world's division to, to do the same that which the world is doing. Help us to navigate, Lord. Give wisdom to our leaders, to our elders, to the pastors. Lord, just to, just to foster this moment, just to, just to steward this moment well for your glory and your purpose. In your name we pray, amen.